Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Simplifying the Sword. And uh, this week, though, uh, we already posted an amazing class, so please make sure you listen to that class on Toledot. This is a, uh, a second class on Toledot. It's a short class, and it's... Uh, <coughs> uh, basically, what happened was uh, we were reading the Torah on... Uh, on on uh, Shabbat afternoon, and uh, something caught my eye on uh, in the Zohar when I was looking, and uh, when I got home, I continued to look at it. I started making notes, and I continued making notes on Sunday, and uh, I was having a hard time taking those notes and put putting them into something that you can give over to someone else, and then. Uh, with the all those notes put together, I couldn't sleep last night. I woke up a little before four, and I decided to take those notes and try to turn them into a into an article, which we included in this week's newsletter. But someone commented to me in the newsletter minutes after I sent it out that it was a little heavy for the newsletter and probably would have been better if I posted this in a class. So we're going to try posting it as a. Uh, as a class, and let me know what you think. So the title of the class is The Tunnel to Answered Prayers. We're often asked if everything is decided on Rosh Hashanah. Those decisions are sealed on Yom Kippur. And finally, they're, they're delivered on Hoshana Rabbah. So if all that's decided, sealed, delivered, then what's the purpose of daily prayer? If one's income, one's health, everything else has already been decided, how can one hope to change things through daily prayer? <clears throat> In the same manner, one might ask, if we're born under a certain star or constellation and our spiritual DNA is already set from the time of our birth, and as many of the rabbis explain, although we're taught in mazal Israel, there is in fact mazal, and it's difficult for an individual person to change their mazal. So again, what are we hoping for? Now, we've asked this question before. And uh, we've answered this question based on the teachings of our holy rabbis. And last month, we posted a, a short podcast, which you can listen to. And we briefly explained how the blessing of the moon, Birkata Levana, when we're doing that, there's an ability to rise above or perhaps tunnel through to a place above the constellations, above our fate, and in essence, change it. We also discussed on that same podcast with regard to Shabbat. On Shabbat, we have what we call a neshama yetera, which Rabbi Abitad always explained is not really an extra or second soul, but it's more of an expanded soul. And we explained that in essence, on Shabbat, we have an opportunity to bring or to connect our world of malchut directly to the upper worlds. We explained that using, if we, we use as an example the name Havaya, just to be able to visualize something, the Yud and the He, the Vav and the He, the name of Hashem, whereby, what are we doing? We're going to raise the lower He, the lower He, which we explained signifies Malchut, and we're going to connect it with the upper He, which signifies Bina, and we're going to bypass the Vav, or maybe we're going to use the Vav as a ladder or tunnel through the Vav, to a place which is above the stars. So the Vav represents what we're going to say are the constellations, and we're going to get on Shabbat to a place higher. We often 
uh, refer, we explain, with regard to Abraham Avinu, Abraham our father. Abraham complains to Hashem, you know, I'm not going to have kids. Everything I have is going to go to my servant, he says. And Hashem tells him that <coughs> he should habet, look down at the stars. Hashem has taken Abraham to a place above the stars where he's no longer influenced or governed by the mazalot or the astrological and angelical forces. And from there, anything is possible. Just as the opportunity was afforded to Abraham, there are methods for us to accomplish this as well. This week, our forefather Yitzchak gives us a lesson in rising above or tunneling through and changing what was predicted to be to what can be. As we begin this week's portion, we see that Rivka, Rebecca, and Isaac, Yitzchak, have been married for 20 years. They have no children. So the verse tells us that Isaac prayed opposite his wife. Rashi explained that one prayed in one corner, the other in the opposite corner. The Zohar Kadosh informs us that in fact Yitzchak knew that he could have a child, and he was praying on behalf of his spouse, who was barren, hoping to change things. But for the word for prayer, the text uses an unusual word. It says, Vayetar Yitzchak, Vav Yirayin Tafresh, Vayetar Yitzchak. The Zohar Kadosh asks a question. What's the meaning of this word, Vayetar, which we translate as entreated? And the Zohar answers, says that he, Yitzchak, offered a sacrifice and prayed for her. What offering did he sacrifice? And the Zohar is very specific in Olah, a burnt offering. It's very important to understand the difference in the offerings. The Zohar Kadosh continues and describes a celestial fire coming from heaven, which came to meet the lower fire of Isaac's sacrifice on earth. Now, our rabbis explained that if the sacrifice or the prayer from below is like a fire with complete and true devotion, then the fire from below will be met with an answer as a fire from above fulfilling the tefillah. Rabbi Abitad often explained to us, maybe me specifically, <laughs> the need for each of us to eliminate or at least subjugate the I. He spoke of the id, the ego. It seems that if tefillah, if prayer is all about me and what I desire, then that tefillah lacks the spiritual formula of a fire below that will be met with a fire from above. But if my tefillah, if my prayer is like an Allah offering, now remember, an Allah offering is an offering which is completely burned on the Mizmeach. Everything is for heaven. There's nothing for us. And my thoughts are complete in that what I am asking for is Leshem Shamayim, for the sake of heaven. Then that pure prayer which lacks selfishness becomes this fire, which is met by the celestial fire above. As we begin the portion of Toledot, our forefather Yitzhak is praying. He's entreating Hashem for what he knows must be the outcome, specifically for the birth of Yaakov. Yaakov represents the central column. He's not praying for himself or even for Rivka, but for the one who will be referred to as the choice of the Avod, bringing together the chesed of Abraham, the kindness of Abraham and the Gevurah, the restriction, the strength of Yitzhak. It comes together in Yaakov in a perfect balance. And that represents the central column of Tiferet, which is required for this world. The Zohar Kadosh continues. 
Another explanation for, and Yitzchak entreated, is that by his prayer, he hollowed out a passage that reached above to Mazala. It's the word Mazal, luck we call it, but really it means much more Mazal, with an Aleph. So Mazala <coughs> is, this, is the Aramaic of, of, of Mazal. The Zohar then suggests that to fully understand the process, we must not pronounce this word, Vayi'ater, Vayi'ater, uses that word, but hollowed out, Vayi'chater. Basically what the Zohar is telling us, that we replace the Ayin with a Chet. So don't read Vayi'ater, read Vayi'chater. This confused me. So I looked, where is this word? We could refer to the Navi, where we see the latter word, Vayechater, used relating to a tefillah from none other than the king Menashe. We're told that Menashe ruled the longest, but he was one of the evilest kings descending from the house of David. Not only did he commit atrocities, but he led others to sin. He swayed the entire generation, which is really difficult to understand because the generation was so righteous under his father, Chizkiyahu. Even worse, that the consequences of his actions would live long after him, leading people astray for centuries until the ta'avah for idolatry was eliminated. In addition to the other charges against him, the Gemara tells us that he was the murderer of the prophet Ishayahu, who may in fact have been his own grandfather. Now, the story is, towards the end of Menashe's life, he's captured by the king of Ashur, Melech Ashur. The Talmud Yerushalmi elaborates. I'm going to quote from the Gemara, but in English. Rabbi Levi said, The Assyrians, the people of Ashur, filled a copper cauldron. They placed Menashe in it, and they lit a fire under it. When he saw his plight, and look, they're literally cooking him alive. Okay, it's like out of the cartoons, right? <clears throat> so what happened? When he saw his plight, he called out to every idolatrous deity. When none assisted him, he said, I remember that my father read me a verse in the Beth Knesset. When you are in distress and all these things befall you, befall you in the latter days, you shall return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. He will not fail you nor destroy you. This we read in the Parashat Devarim. It's part of Moshe's speech. So what happens? Menashe cries out to God. And he says, if he listens to me, well and good. And if not, then all kinds of God are alike. It's interesting, the Gemara continues, what happened? The angels barricaded the windows of heaven that the prayer of Menashe would not ascend to Hashem. They said, Hashem of the world, are you willing to give gracious hearing to one who has worshipped the idols and set up an idol in the Beth HaMikdash? And Hashem answers, if I did not accept the penance of this man, I should be closing the door in the face of all sinners who repent. It says further that Hashem made a small opening under the throne of His glory. And he received the tefillah of Menashe through it. So that was bothering me. How does this work? So I looked, I see the rabbi see in Menashe's words a possible challenge to God to save him, not for his own sake, but to avoid a chilul Hashem, a desecration of the name of Hashem, and to create a kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of the name. There the verse uses the term vayechater, 
which we explain to mean he hollowed out or he dug a tunnel digging. Perhaps this is the source of the Zohar's suggestion. Keep in mind, Menashe's father already saw how wicked this child would be even before he was born. Chizkiyahu was reluctant to have children in order to avoid having such a child. He saw that this is what's going to come to him. He saw the future. <clears throat> and remember the story. He gets sick and the prophet tells him he's going to die and he turns to the wall and he prays to Hashem. Only with his own life on the line does he agree to get married and, and, and have children. And the, the rabbi suggests that he takes the daughter of Yeshayahu. So the, who's the child's parents? The child's parents are the king Chizkiyahu, the righteous one who could have been the Mashiach, and the daughter of Yeshayahu, the prophet, giving every advantage to this child. But Menashe's life seems to have been predicted and written in the stars even before his birth, and no matter the effort of the righteous king to steer his children in the right direction, says he took his kids every day on his shoulders to learn, and he was teaching them by his own example. What happened was after Chizkiyahu dies, his son is drawn by his evil inclination, by his Yetzir Hara, towards the shortcuts of the dark side, and he chose the evil path. As a wicked one who causes others to do wrong, Menashe had very little going for him. In order to change fate, what, 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 what was his, why would, why would heaven agree? We see the angels themselves, they hope to blockade and possibly make it impossible to, to change things. But the, the Navi seems to tell us that his prayer done for the sake of heaven. Hashem, being merciful, allowed that prayer in, allowed it to carve a tunnel through what a person deserves, through the mazalot and the objection of angelic forces. It channeled through what his fate may have been and what had been signed, sealed, and delivered in the heavenly court. When we see this with Menashe, it helps us to understand the explanation of the Zohar describing the prayer of Yitzhak Avinu. You know, Yitzhak is probably the most difficult of the Avot to begin to understand. There's so very little told about him because of that. But Yitzhak's prayer, according to the Zohar, is an act of hollowing out or digging a tunnel, bypassing fate or an edict and reaching this place called Mazala. Now we have to explain, what is Mazala? What is this place? We could suggest that this place is the source of the light for the mazalot below. <clears throat> we can imagine it as the river which feeds the various sefirot or angelic powers, allowing them to influence the world and us. The rabbi would suggest that we could imagine a power grid. There's the source of the power from the central station, and then it's broken down through the local transformer stations and broken down further into neighborhoods and blocks each acting some sort of filter for the energy so it's more usable, user-friendly when it gets to us. So in essence, we could suggest that this type of prayer is channeling through a tunnel that goes under or through the mazalot, bypasses them, and the nature of the astrological forces or filters, and what some might call our fate, the tunnel extends upwards to the original light at the source above the mazalot and connects with that original light in order to make possible what might not be possible. The Pasuk uses another unusual term, lenochach ishto. We translate it as opposite his wife, but Shlomo HaMelech helps us to understand the meaning. 
He writes in Mishlei, Enecha lenochach yabitu. We translate this verse as let your eyes look forwards. Look forward. The rest of the verse is ve'af'apecha yaisheru negdecha. Your gaze be straight ahead. So one can suggest a look forward to the future. This is what Yitzchak's doing. He's looking forward to Yaakov, to the Shevatim, to the 12 tribes that will come from him and, and, and through him and Rivka and through Yaakov. Or perhaps we can say he's looking forward, imagining looking through into a tunnel, a tunnel that's connected directly to the light and seeing this light as the source of his children and of their birth. Each Shabbat we read emotionally the amazing prayer, Nishmat Kol Chai. For me, it's one of my favorite tefillot. I like how the different suggestions of who wrote it. If we separate the three opening letters of the three opening words of Nishmat Kol Chai, we have Nun Chaf Chet, we see that they are the Rashet Tevot and spell this word, this word, Nochach, Nochach. The rabbis comment that the numerical value of Nochach, Nun Chaf Chet, 50, 20, and 8 is 78. And we know that 78 is three times Havaya, three times the Yud, the K, the Vav, the K, three times 26. This is also the numerical value of the Aramaic word, Mazala, the place we're going to. And this is what's used by the Zohar here. Now at another time, we could think about that this is also the numerical value of the word Lechem, bread, and the word Melach, salt. And when we dip the mela, the lechem into the melach on Friday night and on Shabbat, we dip it three times, thinking each time the Shem Havaya, 26, 26, 26, totaling 78. Maybe here we could also relate to the bread as the source of the beracha, Birkat Amazon as the source of the beracha to take us to this place. But that's its own class. We really have to examine that, just a theory. In addition, we know that during the Yamim Noraim, during the High Holidays, in the Amidah, we repeat the word Uvechen, 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 again and again. But if we calculate the numerical value of Uvechen, Vav Bet Chafnun, again we have 78, which is in essence what we're praying for, what we're hoping on the Yamim Noraim is to take us above nature, above our fate, above the edicts, and bring us to a place where we connect directly to the light and change our mazal. Change in mazal Israel because we can go beyond the mazal. We also learned that when Hannah prays in the Bet HaMikdash for her son, and this son will eventually be the prophet Shmuel, Shmuel Hanavi. The verse tells us she prays Al, or on the name of Hashem. Perhaps again to rise to a level above or to connect to the higher worlds, to what we relate to as this upper Yud, this upper hay of the name of Havayah, the name of Hashem. So in our Perashah, Yitzchak is connecting to the source of light above the Mazalot. And what's the secret for us to follow? What do we do? The key is that the tefillah that we utter, the tefillah that we bring, must be as if one is bringing a korban olah. It must eliminate the self, the self-interest and the selfishness and put above all that this tefillah is l'shem shamayim, for the sake of heaven, the greater good. 
I'm doing this so that it should be for the sake of heaven. And I'm completely committed to that. And with that can generate a fire that is complete and real below, which will cause a complete and real fire or response from above. We are assured that with effort and maybe repeated effort, assured, we have to repeat. Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu repeats his tefillah 515 times until Hashem says, enough, uh, we're not going to do this. And the answer could always be, the rabbi said, sometimes you don't realize. Hashem is saying the answer is no. But we have to realize that if we can pray like this, where we're praying, L'Shem Shamayim, we're praying for the sake of heaven, we're eliminating the, the eye, we're praying for the greater good, that our tefillah can really create a fire. And when you create something below, it causes a response above. It requires something to be created below in order to have a response above. And then one can rise above what we might call the sun and the moon or the stars or a horoscope or a fate to arrive at a place where anything is possible. But, but for this to work, my intent has to be pure and include some level of self-sacrifice where I'm doing this not for me, but as we said, for the greater good. It's a way of overcoming a person's selfishness, a person's nature. Perhaps we could better understand here from what we learn with regard to the splitting of the sea. B'nai Israel comes out of Egypt. They come to the sea. Hashem says, go. Don't pray, Moshe. Go. And what does it say? David HaMelech writes, we say it in Hallel. We're going to say it in Hallel Rosh Chodesh now. Hayam vayanos. The sea saw and it fled. What did the sea see? It saw the casket, the Aaron of Yosef, Yosef Asadik. Yosef who overcame his nature and what did he do? He fled the wife of Potiphar. He was the direct cause, cause from below for heaven to intercede and force the sea to overcome its own nature. This may be the method for us to overcome nature for it may be our nature or the nature of man to be selfish. This is how we're all born. You know, we're born grabbing everything. It's all about me. But if we can overcome the self for the greater good, we then overcome our inborn nature. And in doing that, we turn on the light switch below, which in effect will allow a light switch above to be turned on. Perhaps this is a better way to understand the concept of digging out through the tunnel. Perhaps each of us is locked within some sort of a prison of egotism, of self. There are walls and more walls surrounding us and reinforcing that idea of self-centeredness. The aspect of tefillah presented by Yitzhak, our forefather, who represents the idea of self-control and restraint, is to dig under or through and form a tunnel to allow us to escape from this prison into the area of Lashem Shamayim. For the sake of heaven. Let's remember in the words of the Zohar. Do not pronounce. Do not pronounce entreated. But pronounce. Hallowed out. For HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He cleared the way. Accepted the prayer says the Zohar. And then we see the Pasuk says. Rivka his wife. Conceived. May this tunnel dug by Yitzhak. Be accessible to all of us. 
And through following his path, may the way be cleared and may our prayers be accepted and answered. Letova, for the good. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.